I'll open us in prayer and I'll think of those struggles right now in our, and even the believers in those places. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you that we can come before you to look into your word, to understand better how we can be parents that honor you, that pass on our faith in Christ to our children as best as we can, and yet we know that you are the one who gives new life. We pray that you would help this this morning, um, help us to be better equipped for, for training our children um, for helping to shape their character into a, um, young men and women that are pleasing to you. And we think this morning of the, with heavy hearts of those who are suffering terrible things in Gaza, in Israel, in Afghanistan. We pray that even through these natural and, and moral evils that you would turn them for good as we know that you do, that you, uh, what, what man intends for evil, you you work for good. And we pray that even in the midst of the horror and the suffering, that you would be at work for good and that you would build up your church and that those who, who know and love you in those regions would be faithful to serve others and share the gospel, that the light of Christ would shine even in the darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're at closing in on the finish line of our class. This is our second to last week. Uh, we're now advancing into those teenage years, so I feel much, I mean, I, I already felt unqualified to teach this class to begin with, but now I feel less qualified even for these years because I'm, I'm some, many, some of you are further along than me. I have, my oldest is 13, so I have some experience. I have about, let's see, uh, 10 months of experience with a teenager. Um, so thankfully, Paul Tripp will, will carry the lion's share of the teaching here, but and hopefully we can reflect on um, how God's Word informs us. But as we talk about the teen years, let me just show this screen one more time just as a reminder. You know, we started off with those ages 0 to 5 where really the focus is on your authority as parents and helping your child to understand that they live in a world where they're under authority and they need to obey, learn to obey the authorities that God's placed over them, meaning mom and dad, that... And that our role is to be a reflection of that authority in the way that we discipline out of love, but also with firmness and and even with physical discipline as well, that we are to show God's authority in our home. Um, In the last couple of weeks, we talked about those middle years, 6 to 12, where we're now transitioning. Our child is starting to think more for themselves or um, they're starting to understand the world, the basics of a worldview are forming for them, and his focus on those two weeks was in, on shaping character and helping see that the, the challenges of those years that God is giving you opportunities to help shape their character. Um, and now we're going to talk about these ages 13 plus, where our, in a sense, our authority and this, our, our ability to force our children to do what we want um, is declining rapidly and soon enough they're going to be out of our authority and so you're not they're not going to be in the home anymore and if they want to eat junk food and watch netflix all day or not do their homework then you can't stop them (laughs) because they may not even be in your home anymore so you know we're going to focus now on uh, how as our authority declines we hope and pray that by god's grace our influence in their life is actually increasing to where they're beginning to see that what mom and dad are modeling and teaching is actually a path that's for my blessing, for my good. It's the path of life. It's the path of following in, under in God, God's law, God's way is for my good. And so they're actually coming to more and more willingly submit themselves to your influence and, and seek out your, your wisdom and your counsel. So as we think about that, our opening question here is think about the teen years. Um, I know some of you are... Some of you are, have teens. Tom's got, you, Tom's probably the most, well, yeah, Andrew, some of you guys have teens. But what are some typical struggles that teens today face? Distractions from the world. Distractions from the world. Tempted and, yeah. Yeah. They've arrived at complete knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, by 13. <laughs> uh, yes. Identity, who they are. Where they get their value from. Right. Yeah, and seeing that particularly in their standing, their social group, and their finding their affirmation from their their identity, their their um, standing with other people. 
Tom, what do you think? Uh, fear and dependency. All right. And influence uh, is more than fears than repairs. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we want to make sure that they mix it up with the pagans as much as possible. <laughs> right. That's why we want to build walls and make sure they don't know any pagans, right? Yes, that's a really good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about, I mean, uh, Sarah mentioned distractions from the world, and I, I guess what did you mean by that? Um, Seeing glittery, shiny things that seem better mm-hmm. than the gospel than the truth. Yeah. And being drawn to those things. Yeah. Yeah, and particularly I was thinking of certain behaviors that become addictive that are distracting. I mean, social media is an obvious one that, you know, I'm old enough now that, like, it wasn't around when I was a teenager. We barely had flip phones, but now it's everywhere, obviously, and it's addictive, and it, it's, a, it's a black hole that teens get sucked into. But then you could, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, all other pornography... Drug abuse, alcohol, sexual behavior, all of these things that can be both addictive and also damaging for the long term, destructive to all of those things are now in your teen's life and they have access to those types of things or those temptations in ways that uh, you might not even be aware of. Lack of prescience. Um, You're going to have to define that for us. Fixation with now. Um, Everything is now. There is no um, capacity for long term. Like, oh, what's this going to net me in two years or five years or ten years? Right. Completely lacking at that age. Right. I I had no prescience at all when I was 13, 14, 15. There was no future. It was all right now. If it doesn't happen today, then it's never going to happen. You know? Right. So uh, that's a horrible struggle, you know? And, um, and tra- not even being able to hear the people who were trying to tell me this is going to end bad for you, man. <laughs> you know? Or hey, you might not. You might want to think about what this is going to lead. Right. Yeah. yeah. You combine these things. What Ray's talking about not not being able to think in terms of long term consequences, and what Andrew said of like thinking that you know everything and you're not willing to submit to wisdom or a correction from other people. And I mean, it, you put those together and it can be a recipe for disaster. It often is, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. And as Christians, we don't need to, you know, bemoan the teen years as though there's no hope, but we need to be aware of the struggles that our teens are going to face. Yeah, Steve? I don't know if today's struggles for teens are any different than they have ever been. I, I think... But I see, I work with some really tough people, but it's easy. I think everything today is so easy. Like, sin is so easy to access. Where, it, I mean, it always has been, but certain, like, drugs, pornography, um, I can't think of all the other sins I can, you know, but they're, they're so easy. Right. It's such an easy thing. And... And before, even 15, 20 years ago, you had to like rely on other people to access right. certain things, right? Now, you know, with, it, with technology, you know, for the most part, you don't need to, there's no shame. There's no accountability. There's no... Right. Um, yeah, we're... And when there is shame, there's, there's not shame because everything's acceptable. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I think you're the heart. That's why we'll see. We'll see later in the class. I mean, Scripture speaks to the struggles that teens face. Proverbs is full of wisdom that our teens need. I mean, it doesn't talk to teens directly. I mean, it talks to youth, to youth, to young young people. And but just as an example, you know, Proverbs five, Solomon tells his son not to walk near the street of the forbidden woman, like not to walk near her corner. But now. Like you said, this the corner of that woman is in your pocket. I mean, it's a it's available. Technology has has changed the dynamic, but the underlying heart issue is still the same. So, that being said, let's um, dive into our video, and we can talk more on the on the backside. Well, we want to end with this uh, final stage. We've looked at the importance of authority. We've looked at the importance of 
uh, development of character. What's going on now is internalization, is that the child begins this process where the standards of the home now become their standards, uh, where it's not now I'm responding to your authority or I'm agreeing with your character standards. These are my decisions, my choices that I willingly make. Uh, and it's a transitional period of time. You're actually beginning the process of more concretely preparing your children for their emancipation from the home. And, and that is a very, very important stage. Now, you're going to be tempted to want to crank back the clock and treat this teenager like he's a five-year-old. And it's very, very important, some of you will struggle with this, that you begin to give some uh, decision-making room for this child while he's still in the home. I'm not saying you totally remove your parental authority, but you want that, those initial test cases, uh, I try to make a decision, it blows up, I fail, I face consequences. You want that to happen in the protection of your home so you can be part of that process, so you can instruct and you can correct. I think often children have been so bubble wrapped that they get out of the home, they haven't made any decisions, they haven't thought through them themselves. All those initial test cases are taking place now outside of the protective confines of parental authority. So you need to give a little bit of room uh, for children to make some decisions and then they deal with the natural consequences of those and you can, you can interact with, with that. Now watch... Uh, the main tool here, decisions and consequences, I just said it. Uh, You begin to allow some room for that. You're the guide, you're the judge, you're the authority, but you're you're willing to let your child uh, do some deciding and you guide it. Now, I'm not saying you're going to step back if this child is choosing to do something immoral. Clearly, you're not going to do that. But in some way, They ought to begin to bear some uh, decisions. Now, don't settle for situational solutions and behavioral control. Your your goal is is not uh, to so much protect your your child, regulate, control his behavior so that he never messes up, Your goal is to continue this work in his heart so that he is finally prepared for his emancipation from the home. (coughs) This is not in your notes, but I want to give you three windows on relationship to your child. Three types of of relationships to teenagers, and you need to know what type you're in. The first one, the most healthy one, is what I would call a preventative relationship to your teenager. A preventative relationship to your teenager. That means this is a kid that's submissive, he's humble, he's listening, and because of that, he listens to your guidance, he listens to your correction, he listens to your instruction, and he doesn't get himself in trouble because that conversation is able to prevent difficulty. You get that? And so you're able to prevent all of, a lot of that mess that happens in the life of a teenager because he's learned to submit to you, he's learned the value of your wisdom, he's participating. I mean, that's a lovely relationship with a teenager. Second style of relationship is a corrective relationship. Now, this is a child who's, who's not quite in the good place that the preventive uh, relationship child is, but uh, he still responds to correction. He's messing up a little bit. He plays a little bit outside of the lines. 
he probably wants a little more authority than he should have. He's, he's probably uh, a little more independent than he should, should be. Uh, he doesn't recognize uh, the temptations around him as he should. But when faced with issues, he thinks about it, he responds to your correction. So you're doing a lot of correcting, but it's producing some harvest. Uh, it's not as good as the first uh, because you're having to deal with a mess of consequences, but you still have somebody who is responding to you and communicating to you. Here's the third one. The third one is a protective relationship. This is a teenager who's not playing, who's not listening, who doesn't respect your authority, who steps beyond the boundaries. He just blows beyond boundaries all the time or she blows beyond boundaries all the time. Now, because you're very concerned about the disaster of lifelong consequences, you have to ask the question, what do I need to do to protect this rebellious teenager from himself? So that he doesn't make decisions or involve himself in actions that alter his life for the long run. There's a further question. These are scary questions at this point because this is, this is bad stuff. Am I able to provide those protections in the context of my home? Are we able to do that? If you're not, you may have to ask the question, does this child need to be in some place other than our home? Now look, that's why God designed the body of Christ. That's why God designed the state. The family doesn't live in isolation. We have other resources. And sometimes parents are naive. They're letting things go totally out of control. It's very clear that they don't have enough resources in their home, but they're afraid of what it will mean to ask for help. And so this child just ends up making decisions that it carries with him. I mean, how sad it is for a 17 or 18-year-old to get deeply addicted to a drug. And they now carry that addiction into 20 and 30 years old. I've sat with people who weeped, wept uh, at just how this addiction is an everyday struggle. They're now 35. It happened at 16. And I don't think that addiction is their parents' fault, but I always think, where were their protectors? Where were their protectors? Sometimes it means making hard decisions. So you always have to be evaluating where are we? Are we in a preventative relationship? This is not a perfect kid, but he's responding to conversations. He responds to authority, and we can prevent him going in directions he shouldn't go. Or is it a kid who's kind of messing up, but we can still talk to him, and he still responds to correction? Or is it out of control, he's blowing through all the boundaries, he has no respect of authority, and we're watching him march to disaster? Don't stand there and let that happen. Get help. This child needs help. Don't give in to powerlessness. Don't give in to fatalism. Don't let his anger intimidate you into a corner. Get help. And there'll be a day when that child will thank you for those protections. I was in a counseling situation with a mom who that week had been beaten up by her son. It was mortifying for her. And it was very, very clear, she was a single mom, that she could not provide the protections this out-of-control angry kid needed. And we found a wonderful Christian place for him to live that took all decisions out of his hands. He hated it at first. But God began to work in this kid's heart. He began to see the value of 
living in a different way, was protected from himself, and, and that anger wasn't able to go as far as it could go. I'll never forget when he was released from that place, the first time I met him. He walked in the door of my office. He threw his arms around me, and he wouldn't let go of me. And he just kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You gave my mom the courage to do this. And he said, look at me. I'm actually a nice guy. My mom's not afraid of me anymore. I have a job. And we just, we just laughed and applauded and celebrated. He needed protection. You wouldn't let your child run out in the street. If the fence wasn't big enough, you'd move, right? Then why do we let our children march towards spiritual danger and we act like we're powerless? Don't act that way. There are parents right now, you need to get yourself help because it's out of control. Get help. Get help. Get help. Now, how do we know what we're supposed to be doing during this period of time? I want to say to you, don't give in to the cynicism of your culture. Uh, A culture would tell you there's very little good that can happen during this period of time. Uh, One writer said if you add the word teenager to any other word, the second word immediately becomes negative. Should I try? Teenage driver. Did it work? Uh, So what are you supposed to be doing? I'm, I'm very concerned that because many of us aren't goal-oriented, so we don't have goal-directed responses, we are involved in reactive parenting with teenagers. Goal-oriented responses are conceptually and morally driven. I've thought about what is right. I get what's going on with you. And because of that, I have a sense of direction. That's very different than I sort of don't have a sense of direction and I just react to whatever is the issue of the moment. That tends to be much more emotionally laden and much more emotionally driven. And reactivity as a parent generally isn't as productive as being goal-oriented. Now, in order to be goal-oriented, you have to get what a teenager is and how a teenager struggles. Because the typical struggles of a teenager will form your opportunity and your job description. Does that make sense? Because your interaction with those struggles is the way you provide preparation and protection. Now, where do we get that definition? You can't go to the Bible to teen one, verse one, and begin to read. Because your Bible, in case you didn't notice this, isn't arranged by topic. In fact, the Bible never uses the word teenager. So we might as well just pack it up and go home. Because you got no help from that book at all. (laughs) Well, that's not true. Although the Bible never uses the word, the Bible has amazing things to say about this period of time we would call youth. Probably a more ancient, more expansive category than the more recent Western culture category, teenager. As I was preparing this material many years ago, I began praying, God, uh, direct me to a place where there is your information about this period of time. And I was reading, as I regularly do, through the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs encapsulates God's wisdom, and I've determined I'm going to read Proverbs till I'm wise. Luwala very sweetly says, keep reading. Uh, And I was reading the first several chapters of Proverbs, and I realized that the the format, the structure there, is a father giving 
instruction to his son. Son, heed my wisdom. Son, listen to my correction. Uh, Son, listen to my counsel. And I thought, well, that's great. There's a father talking to his son. I'm going to read this over and over again. So I started reading that. I literally read that, those chapters, about eight chapters, hundreds of times, over and over again. And as I read those over and over again, something very interesting ha- happened. Themes began to rise to the surface. You know what a theme is? A theme is something that's often repeated. You recognize a piece of music by a certain theme of its notes. I could hum some notes to you and you would know immediately what the music was. And as I began thinking, something hit me. If a father has to repeat something over and over again to his son, what has that father identified? He's identified a struggle, right? That's why it keeps coming up. And I realized all of a sudden that in these passages, we have God's definition of the typical struggles of a teenager, the typical struggles of someone who's in his youth. And those struggles give me a definition of what's hot and happening during that period of time and give me a definition of how I should uh, interact with it. And and so I want to look with you at the the typical struggles of a teenager. Six things that must be uh, a goal-oriented focus for you must form your job description. Now, here's what I love about these. Although these were written in a day when a father would say to his son, have you bedded down the camel, animal, not cigarette, uh, they map right on to a culture where a father would say, have you gassed up the SUV? They have this transgenerational, transcultural application to them. Although they were written thousands of years ago, if you have a teenager anywhere near you, you'll recognize these things. Now here's your heart stuff. You have to view these as opportunities. God will work very hard to stick the heart of your teenager in your face. Because he wants you to be active and he wants your teenager to be prepared. I could say it this way. The opportunity is in the trouble. If you have a toxic relationship to trouble, if you don't want any trouble whatsoever in your life, you're not going to do well with a teenager. But in that exposure of the heart and the trouble that surrounds it are wonderful opportunities to take this final step in preparing this child for his emancipation from the home. Here's the first one. Teens don't tend to hunger for wisdom and correction. (laughs) I have never had one of my kids say to me, Dad, I was riding the bus home from school today and I was thinking of what a stunningly wise man you are. And I would just love to sit under the feet of your wisdom one more time tonight and have you drop a few of those gorgeous pearls down on me. Never heard that. Uh, Or what about correction? Uh, I've never had one of my children say, you know, Dad, I put something together the other day. One of the ways you love me the most is by correcting me. And I just want to say to you, bring on that love. Didn't hear that. Now here's the job description then. Your job is to sell to your teenager wisdom and correction that which he is not seeking. Your job is to sell to your teenager that which he is not seeking. You don't wait for him to seek it. You sell it to him when he's not seeking it. If you're a salesman, you know the first step of sales is to create a sense of need, right? And so that's what you're doing. Now, the way you do that, this is the second point, sell what they're not seeking. The way you do that is by making wisdom and correction beautiful. Now, here's the rub. Most of your wisdom and correction moments won't be on your schedule. It's 10.30 at night, 
on a Thursday night and one of your teenagers comes to you and says, I have a science project due tomorrow. You know that project was assigned six years ago. And so going where you don't want to go, you say, what do you need? Teenagers are good at these conversations. They start easy. They say, oh, I need some poster board. You got enough uh, cardboard and duct tape in the house. You can approximate poster board. You're not too upset yet. You say, what else do you need? They say, well, I need some markers. We learned very early in our parenting to always buy water-based markers. You know why? Because when they get dry, you can cut the blunt end off. You can pour water down them. There's more ink in there. I'm a Christian. I believe in the principle of resurrection. (laughs) And then you say, what else do you need? And this child mumbles very quickly, 12 baby chickens. (laughs) You can't believe it. The emotional temperature immediately changes. And you say, then go upstairs and lay them. And then you go off into glory of your wisdom. In my day, I would have never thought of coming to my parents at 10.30 at night on a Thursday night when I had a science project due on Friday. Why in my day would you even have science projects? I made up my own. I was such a good student, and I sat on those eggs myself. (laughs) Now, when you're going off like that, what is your child seeing? Oh, this is going to hurt your feelings. But I got to say it, a fool. Because if you're so delusional as to confess to the complete righteousness of your youth, you need help. You know what's actually true? This is very humbling. I began to realize there were very few struggles in my teenager that I still couldn't identify in myself. I'm more like my teenagers than unlike them. Say that to yourself. It'll help you. They're not different than me. They're like me. Sad but true. What's the issue of the science project? What's the issue? Can you give it to me in a word? Procrastination. Are you actually going to say there's no evidence of any procrastination in your life? Anybody here own a garage you can't drive into anymore? You keep saying to yourself you're going to empty it out, it never happens? You're thinking of building another garage, not for a car, but for more stuff. Anybody here do your taxes the night of? You know the post office that stays open till midnight? You've gotten to know all the other procrastinators, it's like a reunion? This year you're bringing the brownies? (laughs) You see, if you say your problem isn't like, your, your problem is that you're not like me, I can't believe you'd do such a thing. How do you get to, and oh, by the way, Jesus loves you, and doesn't fit, does it? But say to your child, you know, I get exactly how you got yourself in this mess because I'm like you. I tend to put the stuff that I enjoy to the top of the list and keep pushing the stuff down that I find distasteful until I've gotten myself in trouble. Now, I want you to know, I'm not going to take you to the all-night chicken farm. (laughs) And I'm not going to write that magic note that gets you off the hook. You're going to have to face your responsibility. But I'll stand with you as you do. And I want you to know, there is help for people like you and me. Because you know what we believe? This is really cool. You know what we believe? We don't believe that wisdom is an outline or a book. We believe that wisdom is a person and his name is Jesus. And Jesus offers you his wisdom. That's an awesome conversation. That's making wisdom beautiful. What about correction? Do you make correction beautiful? It's 11 o'clock at night. 
and that son that you sent into the room at 7.30 to do his homework is still surfing YouTube and you're just, you can't believe it? And you burst the room and say, I don't ask for much. I don't need a mansion or a Rolls Royce. Just a son who's from earth. (laughs) What is it about you? Are you deaf? You can't hear me? You want me to speak louder to you? Would that help? How about I hold your hand like a five-year-old and lead you around? Because that's how you act. What's going on in the heart of that child? He's raging against you at that moment. Because what you're doing is demeaning and ugly. It's not beautiful. And you are actually potentiating the very rebellion that you'd like to break down. The next time he hears your feet walking toward his room, is he going to be excited? Is he going to be willing? No way. Parents, you know what you want to have happen? You want to be able to say hard things to your child that inside they may chafe against, but when you turn your back and you walk down the hall, that child, that teenager boy or girl says, I don't always like what this person says to me, but this person loves me. Is that what you're building? Do you make wisdom and correction beautiful. The dangerous thing is, Proverbs says, if you get anything, get wisdom. Proverbs says, he who hates correction is a fool. And the danger is, our teenagers don't esteem wisdom, and they don't esteem correction. Our job is to make those beautiful. Are you doing that with your teenager? All right, decisions and consequences. A couple different topics he covered. I'm going to start with this one. Uh, Why is it important to give your child room to make his or her her own decisions during these years? Adam? What he said or what I think? Either one. Uh, Well, what he said is like you want them to have them in the, I guess, comfort and protection of the home where you can kind of see them or their thought processes play out so you can kind of help correct those as opposed to learning out amongst the culture and out in the real world. Right. Um, I, I would say I agree with that. To let them fall flat on their face in the home and the protection of somewhat of a safety net and to help guide them in their decision-making process going from there forward. Yeah. Anyone disagree with that? Or you see the... Anyone want to add to Adam's response why that's important? In a sense, he said not to bubble wrap your children. When you tell a kid, you know, you don't want to do this because these are the undesirable consequences of the experience. Um, that's one thing. But then to give them a little uh, rope to make their own decisions, when they actually make that bad decision and experience firsthand the undesired consequences that um, could contribute to their long-term uh, learning uh, in a better way when you experience it. Yeah. Yeah, so how do you, oh, this is my second question, but I mean, I think you got, you got the idea here. Giving opportunities for your child to make decisions and accept consequences is a tool for character development. But how do you decide, you know, when is a good opportunity to do this? You know, when do you give them free reign to do what seems right in their own eyes and experience the consequences? And when do you put the brakes on and say, you know, this is, the consequences here are too severe, um, 
you're going to have to do it our way <laughs> while you're in our home. Well, don't you do it from a young age? Like, you know, you teach, this is a stupid thing, but teach your child how to make a bed, right? And when they're able to physically do it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, depending on your, your lifestyle, maybe that's their chore, right? And you slowly, like, okay, now I'm not, I'm not watching the kid. Now I'm going to leave the room and let you, you know? And you, you keep doing that, but with more and more opportunities for growth in different areas. Right. So it's a gradual thing from a young age, not just as all of a sudden, okay, there you go, go ahead right. yourself, I'll be there to cut the rope down. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It should be something with, you know, giving gradually more and more responsibility as the child has more and more ability to do so. What would you say, Ben, to just the different temperaments of the kids? So, like, I mean, there's all sorts of people, like, okay, you say the stove is hot, don't touch it. And there's one kid who'll be like, okay, I won't touch it. There's another kid like, is it really hot? And then I get burned. And then there's another person that just, or another kid or person who sees other people fall into the same trappings and go, it's hot, I'm not going to touch it. One, yeah. one just straight obeys, the other one has to experience it biblically, like, experientially, so to speak. Right. And the other one's like, I see that happens to all these other people. I'm not going to do it. Like, right. It's so, it doesn't matter how many times you can tell them. Right. No, you're right. That's, they're definitely differences. Cheryl, did you want to answer? Or? I'm finding is that I'm going from less telling what to do and more asking questions. So like, oh, the weather says it's going to be this, da, da, da. what kind of clothes do you think you might need? Or... Like, where they're having to process and think about it. Oh, you know, maybe I am going to need my hoodie. Or, you know, something like that. And then, or I'll be like, oh, actually, since it's going to rain, you might want to, you know, so just more conversation instead of grab your coat, get your, you know, where it's, they're not thinking for themselves. And so I think for me, that's one thing that I'm trying to do more of. Yeah. And then I can, there still might be an opportunity there for. Yeah, involving them in the decision-making process, stimulating that that thought. Um, yeah, Adam, I think that's just going to be. You're going to find it varies so much based on the child, and and that will. He talked about those different types of relationships: the preventative or the corrective or protective, based on their disposition and whether they're going to be in a place of accepting your authority or having to experiment in the sense themselves and and find out um, how the world works. Did you want to add something, Sam? I was just, as far as the question you asked, I mean, it's so hard to draw a line because uh, it's all this case-based, but, like, as far as principles, like, okay, well, you'd want it to be something that has an immediate, tangible effect that they experience, a consequence that's immediate and tangible, um, and yet not, uh, not long-term and intangible, like, uh, like, Oh, I'm just gonna, you know, let my kid uh, watch all, like all sorts of terrible content for months and months and months, and then they'll find out that like this isn't good for them, maybe, right? Because they're depressed and they're anxious. Like, no, that's that's bad because they're not gonna realize, like. But something that is has an immediate, short-term, tangible right. consequence uh, that isn't gonna have long-term effects, uh, right? Yeah, so it's not immoral in itself. We wouldn't want to, he said, you know, don't let your children make immoral decisions. Don't let them, I would say, you know, there there may be some gray areas here, but I would say things like don't let them have close friends that are going to lead them to, you know, act in in ways that are unpleasing to God. I mean, be careful about the companions that they develop and the the habits they develop. You know, but one example I thought of this morning is even, I, I know, I was thinking about this lesson. I mean, one of my daughters had to, take care of the animals this morning so I woke her up I woke her up and just asked her you know, you know you're going to have to take care of the animals this morning you want to get up now so you have time to take care of them and not be rushed when you're getting ready for church and she said oh it'll I don't really need to get up now it won't take that long so she stayed in bed for another 20-30 minutes and what do you know it was a rush you know <laughs> scrambling around can't find the right shoes and the right jacket you're trying to get out the door so I haven't had a chance actually to follow up with that um, but that would be an, an, a simple example of an opportunity to practice. I could have said, you know, get out of bed. You need to, you know, you've got to take care of the animals now. Melinda? I mean, I don't want to oversimplify this, but I feel like 
the same wisdom you're trying to teach your kids to have, like, is available to you mm -hmm. also. And I just have young kids, but I feel like I'm constantly like, should I let them play on that or not? And if they fall and hurt themselves, is that helping them learn? Because I know it's not going to be that bad of a fall, right? It's not mm -hmm. like it's it's the same wisdom available to me. I just don't access it as often as I should, and I feel like. Teaching them to have wisdom is a good lesson to me. Like I can have wisdom, but I can do what I don't let them do, and it's available to me too. I know it's a little bit overdefined, yeah. but it's really encouraging. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I can have wisdom. Right, and thinking, I think, like Sam was saying about the the permanence of the consequences. I mean, something that is short term, immediate consequences is probably better opportunity to, than something that's going to have long term. You know, addictions that are they're going to carry for the rest of their life. What about? Oh, do you want to add something, Cheryl? Well, I also really like this example about the science project and rescuing, and that's another thing that's been really hard because I'm a rescuer. Yeah. And realizing that, again, not a shaming, but <laughs> trying to be supportive, but also you can't. Right. Undo all the. Yeah, I mean, Galatians six. 7, Paul says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And sometimes we can undermine that principle by, at least for the, you know, for the temporarily, it's not going to, uh, this isn't scriptural, but John Adams said, facts are stubborn things. Like, you can't escape from reality. It's God's world, and if you sow a certain way, you're going to reap that. Maybe not immediately, but you will reap the consequences, so... We can't undermine that by rescuing, by, by bubble wrapping our children so they're not coming up against the consequences of their actions. I just, this isn't exactly on topic, but I, wanted to, I didn't want to let it pass that he made an important observation. And that's that, um, you know, like a lot of us have gotten really good at pretending that we're adults. All right? Like, oh, I've got something. I, I've picked up what everybody else is putting down and I've put on this persona of maturity and, and gotten it all togetherness. And I don't. I don't have it all together. Man. I, in fact, I didn't actually start really growing up until just a few years ago. So, you know, uh, and the thing is, is that um, the children have just with less experience making the exact same kind of decisions I tend to make. Yeah. You know, and so like realizing that about children and being able to put yourself in the frame of, oh, wait a minute, that's the exact kind of decision I would have made <coughs> minus the, the, the experience and consequences I've suffered as a result of the decisions that I used to make. Yeah. You know, so coming at it from a, like getting, getting, uh, getting to the level ground at the foot of the cross, as it were. Yeah. With your kids and caring uh, uh, about the decisions they're making at that level is, is an important observation that you made. I think you're right. Yeah, we're more like our teens than unlike them. I mean, it's humbling to realize that. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, much easier to stand above and offer uh, a correction, but you're right. Um, Robin, did you want to add to that? I was just going to say, I think a tool I'm trying to use with one of my kids is kind of like allowing an opportunity to test. So like, as they get older, they want more freedoms or things, and so I'll kind of go like, well, let's try this out for two weeks, like a later bedtime, or how will that affect you? Can you still mm -hmm. get up? Can you still get all these things done? Or, you know, or are you oversleeping in the morning? Or, let's try it for a couple yeah. weeks. And so kind of a trying to walk through at the same time while giving a little freedom. Right. Yeah, he said that it's important not to treat your teen like they're a two-year-old. I mean, I, I, it's, a, it's a temptation just to bark orders and just tell them what to do, but you know, that's really not getting at their hearts. I want to move on to this. I love what he said. I mean, although it's difficult to, to do in reality, but teens need parents who make wisdom and correction desirable. You know, by, by nature, we said they're not going to desire wisdom and correction. They think they know everything. They've reached the pinnacle of all knowledge, and yet uh, we know that they need wisdom and correction just like we do. So how should we do that? How, should, how can we present wisdom and correction to a teen when he or she does not necessarily seek or want it? I think showing that it's desirable for you. I mean, like we've been saying, like all these things can apply to us as believers, but like... We had a conversation with my parents not too long ago, and it was like the kids were witnessing it. And but it, we see this 
correction and wisdom, and I think there was all this involved. But and they were they just saw this reconciliation too. Like these are how things are worked out, and like yeah, it stinks for a minute, but it's still a beautiful thing to come back together and yeah. um, pray together and um, to make that kind of a, the outcome better than where you started. I don't know if that makes sense. So it's still kind of modeling in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to need wisdom and correction just as much as it. Right. Being transparent about our own weakness, our own need. Uh, age appropriate, obviously. Right. I would say not in the heat of the moment, like when the thing is happening. Right. That's when I'm most emotional and not going to offer good wisdom. Yeah, and I found that actually very freeing, Sarah. Like, I mean, you have to remember things change. You know, when when the child is very young, one, two, three, four, like you need to be quick in your responses because they're not going to necessarily connect the discipline to the action if you're delayed by six or eight hours. But for a teen, um, you know, they, they've, they're putting things together more. And and honestly, to you know, he, he gives his examples, right? They're always, you know, planned out and he, you know, he can have these awesome conversations. But, you know, it's all scripted. He knows his examples. And trying to think of that wisdom in the moment when you're frustrated and you just got home from work or you just, you're trying to make dinner and then, like, you know, this thing blows up and you want to offer some wisdom, like, right in the moment, it's, you know, maybe you guys are better at it. <laughs> I struggle with that. Um, and, and plus, you know, like you said, your emotions are all riled up, so it's difficult. Um, I think that's very wise, like not, to, not in the heat of the moment. I mean, just sitting on it for a while, thinking about it, praying about it, really helps. Um, Beverly? Um, that's where I, I come to this question, because he gives us an example of correction where he, he did the negative thing, the child down, saying, what are you doing? You're not doing your homework, you stupid little kid. What's the positive side? You didn't give that example. You know? So I'm asking. I think he did um, when he said, you know, I struggle with the pro- procrastination too. Mm-hmm. And he pre- pre- presented that as mm-hmm. an al- alternate way to go about it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andy, and then I saw Candace too. But. Thinking through what he said and just how he demonstrated, uh, it reminded me of I didn't really get raised in a Christian home, and so, and yet my father, in one particular time, it, it actually permanently fixed my issue with wanting to drink as a young adult. And he, being patient as a father, and now being a father myself, and thinking through, he could have handled a particular situation a whole host of ways. But he was patient, he waited, but yet he made me suffer that consequence in learning. And so while he had to be up and sacrifice himself, he was up all night as I basically was sick, horribly sick all night. And I barely laid down and he was up all night, but he woke me up at 3.30, which was our normal starting time because we were on a job. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? I, I mean, he goes, you're going to learn a valuable life lesson, son, just because you decided to do what you did. It does not immediately end all your other responsibilities. You will get up and you will work. And I went and on a steep hillside all day for 15 hours on the heat and choked chain around logs and helped log all day. And to me, and he was kind about it, and it was over. The next day we had more discussions, but to me as a young man it showed... There is a direct consequence to my choices. I don't get to abdicate my responsibilities to any other people. I have to own them. And his choice to be patient and yet make me face the consequences and stand beside me in it, because he didn't have to get up. He could have, as the boss, he could have stayed in bed and made me still go, but he walked beside me, per se, in it. Yeah. I think those were some wise, and he pointed those out. Yeah. So we do that in different ways. Yeah. Candace, do you want to add something? Sure. Um, I think a big part of, because I work with a lot of families, obviously my daughter's not a teenager yet, but having specialized in working with teens for a little while, um, a lot of it has to do with like having a plan ahead of time. So essentially, like standard operating procedure, like knowing what the consequence is going to be. And so if you were like, okay, homework is this, or my you know, they're interested in that, whatever. Like, we have to have so much patience within ourselves so that when those eruptions happen, we're not on edge now, too. Um, and so there's, 
I work like teenagers hate doing laundry apparently that's just a thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, I like that seems to be like the story that comes up most often is like the example. And so I remember saying to this parent one time, like, so what if their clothes aren't clean? And they're like, Well, I do it for them and I was like, they're not learning. So like instead of getting mad and telling them like so she has to go to school with dirty jeans on, like, is that really you know, and so to, to be able to like have that decision, oh, like if this is the natural consequence, natural consequence, I'm gonna be okay with that. And I'm like, he was saying, like I'm gonna like go with you through it, and be like, yeah, oh, this sucks, <laughs> but like this is where we're at right now. Yeah. It helps so much, and even with Taryn and like the young, like her being younger, hey, if she doesn't want to get in the car, I know I'm gonna give her that option. I'm gonna give her the expectation, and then I'm gonna go help make a decision with her. Of no, it's time to go get in the car. So I'm not constantly having to make the decision in the moment because I already have plans. Yeah, and as we're running up against our time, I just wanted to close with some of these. We talked about making wisdom and correction desirable. And I think the heat of the moment, you're not going to probably be able to do this very well. But if you, as you pray about it, as you depend upon the Lord, and more and more you can, you know, reading Proverbs, he talked about Proverbs 1 through 8 as being like God's, Direction to what a teen needs to needs to learn, and you just read through this stuff, and you just see. I mean, with this in mind, particularly, he's not talking about teens; he's talking about youth. You know, my son, the simple, the young man. Um, you know, there's so much in here that is helpful to think about this. The typical struggles that teens face, and you look at the language that they that he uses. It's not just it's not just didactic, not just flat. Um, a equals B, or you know this leads to that. You read the emotion. You know he talks about um, the warnings, the the pleading in a sense. Um, you know, and also the the blessings of pursuing wisdom. I mean, that's a conversation you can have with your children. You know, Proverbs three talks about. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. The gain from her is better than the gain from silver. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. You know, and you hear that language is is meant to stir up the emotion and the and the desire of of uh, the young person to realize that their way of looking at the world is not it's not complete and it's not accurate. And yet, having that conversation when they're angry when they're upset is it's probably not going to be received well uh, that's something i've i've been learning and i'm but it does take you know the patience to step back to not try to jump down their throat in, in the last at that at that moment and then reflect on it and ask for god's help to come back to them later maybe six hours later maybe the next day maybe the next week even as but you can come back to them and and speak about these things with the wisdom from scripture any closing questions or comments? As I, yeah, Sam. I was just going to say, and this has already been highlighted, but uh, in reality, I, I think for a child throughout their the long view of their childhood, you're probably selling wisdom, not in the moment that you try to tell them how uh, wise and how good and how uh, beautiful wisdom is, but probably in the other 99.9 percent where you're modeling a life of the the fruit of the spirit that wisdom has brought you and like they see well my parents actually have joy in Jesus like they're actually content with their life um, Mm. because of they know God and they submit to his providence and they're happy in in him and they have patience and and joy and peace and patience and kindness like that's a reality in their life and probably we're probably going to sell it more in the 99.9% rather than like those you know those moments uh, where I'm going to say something very profound that's going to alter their life forever. Um, yeah, amen. Hopefully, it's both. But you're right. It's um, we definitely need to be walking in those way, ways to to be able to sell the wisdom to our children. There's also the uh, privilege of uh, confessing our. Okay, did you know why this is bad thing is happening to Daddy? Because Daddy made a poor decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it's going to suck for daddy for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what yeah. it looks like when you fail to eat wisdom, child. Right. Watch your daddy suffer now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you so much that, like our teens, we find hope and peace 
and reconciliation with you at the foot of the cross. That though we are fools, though we sin, though we turn away from you, though we seek our gods and our, our life in other things, that you have rescued us through the blood of your Son, and that you are now teaching us to walk in his wisdom, to be shaped more and more into his likeness. And even in the struggles with rebellious teenagers or the uncertainties of how to respond to, to challenging discipline situations, we, we ask that you would be shaping our own character to be more and more like Christ. And we ask that you'd give us practical wisdom to know how to ad- address these things in our homes. And we pray for your saving grace in the hearts of our children as well. In Jesus' name, amen.